You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Tonight we're going into lesson four, and we've focused on on uh, prayer throughout the month of January, and we have uh, focused on uh, occupying prayer, disciplined prayer, delivering prayer, and tonight we're going to be uh, talking about prevailing prayer, prevailing prayer. Uh, James chapter five verse sixteen has been our theme verse throughout the series. Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. As we shared in our last lesson, um, and we spoke about Daniel, and he had a 21-day fast, and obviously God had given him a grand vision, uh, and every word of that vision was true, but it didn't happen immediately. And just like we we spoke about delivering prayer. Prevailing prayer has some similarities to it. Uh, obviously, it doesn't always happen on our time schedule. And so we have to, we're, we're going to, to, to speak along those lines tonight about prevailing prayer. Uh, Napoleonic Wars, uh, which obviously stormed through Europe uh, from 1792 approximately to 1815, uh, were waged in the name of Megalomania, or Napoleon Bonaparte, obviously was bent at that time on establishing his very own empire. Uh, he had risen quickly uh, through the ranks uh, of the French army due to his natural talents and leadership abilities and strategies. Um, and with age, his ambitions grew uh, of course, more lofty, and by his late 20s, Napoleon had forced all of France's uh, continental opponents to submit. Uh, Napoleon returned to France and launched a successful coup to overthrow the Republic. Uh, he then declared himself consul for life. Uh, he was eager to expand his empire, and Napoleon began by selling uh, the territory of Louisiana to the U.S. to raise funds for future military campaigns, especially campaigns against France's oldest rival, Britain. By the early 1800s, Emperor Napoleon proclaimed himself king of Italy. He defeated uh, uh, Prussia, or Prussia, and he acquired the kingdom of Westphalia uh, and made the Russian Caesar Alexander I, his ally. Uh, despite these successes, Bonaparte, uh, he, he um, was unable to conquer his foe, Britain, um, by any conventional means. So by uh, 1806, Napoleon initiated uh, economic warfare against the nation of what was called the shopkeepers. Uh, Britain quickly, quickly retaliated with its own trade embargoes 
And before long, American vessels and other neutral trading ships were embroiled in the European war. Both Britain and France began searching and seizing U.S. ships. In 1812, Napoleon attacked Russia to punish it for abandoning their crucial economic alliance. And this campaign ended with Napoleon's humiliating retreat from Moscow. And it was the turning point in Napoleon's dream of total conquest in Europe. Napoleon uh, abdicated in 1814 and was exiled to the Mediterranean island of Elba. Then after a short-lived escape and return to power in March of 1815, Britain and its allies ultimately defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo a few months later. Uh, from the original force of 678,000 men that entered Russian territory in June of 1812, only a force of between 10,000 to 30,000 crossed the Neiman River in Convo or Kovno and left Russia territory to return to France in December of 1812. In the judgment of of the majority of historians, it was not the skill of the Russian army that was responsible for their defeat. It was simply that the Russians held out until the harsh Russian winters cut off Napoleon's supply lines. His army literally starved and froze to death. There's a historical novel called Napoleon and Blucher. Uh, it was written, and these are the words that's written in that, or some of the words that's written in that novel. Uh, it starts out, it was a fine, warm day in May 1812. The world was groaning under the yoke of Napoleon's tyranny. But this was the year that Napoleon chose to lift his hand against Russia. And later in the book, it, it comes to this dialogue between Napoleon's nemesis, the, the Prussian general Gebert and von Blucher, and one of his direct reports, General Scarnhorst, uh, about the outcome of the Russian invasion. This is what it says. Has Napoleon again obtained a great victory? No, general, said Scarnhorst solemnly. God has obtained a victory. Blucher raised his head, laid his clay pipe slowly on the table. What do you mean, general? He asked, what do you mean by saying God has obtained a victory? I mean to say that he has sent into the field troops whom even Napoleon is unable to defeat. What troops do you refer to? I refer to the cold, the snow, the ice, the howling storm blowing from Siberia like the angry voice of heaven striking down men and beasts alike. And these troops of God have defeated Napoleon? They have, General. Blucher utterly uttered a cry and jumping up from his chair, drew himself up to his full height. The troops of God have defeated Napoleon, he exclaimed solemnly. I have always believed in divine justice, slow sometimes, but sure. Tell me everything, my friend. Tell me everything, he added, sinking back into his chair, quite overwhelmed by what he had heard. This quote was later attributed to Caesar Nicholas I of Russia. 
Um, interesting how this, this, um, this book or novel writes these words. You hear the story of Napoleon, obviously, and it's, there's great stories of victory. And yet, this novel declares that it was the elements, the elements actually, that ended up being the conqueror of Napoleon. This incredible general that was uh, known for his strategies, for his leadership, all this, all these great attributes. I, I want you to, I want you to look at uh, Isaiah fifty-eight verse eight. The Bible says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither. But watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word shall, it says, accomplish the thing for which it hath sent it. It was surely as the earth watereth by rain and the snow brings forth life on the earth see rain and rain and snow we get rain we understand that that the rain waters and nourishes and brings forth life but but snow what why is why is snow in there snow uh, you know uh, when we think of snow sometimes people only focus on the brutally cold and and, and the, the frozen ground. And maybe some people are not a huge fan of, of snow. But the, the Bible says both rain and snow bring forth God's purpose. Both rain and snow. They may even seem destructive at times, but if you just wait around a while, you'll figure out that we can't exist without rain and snow. Think about the reasons in your life when you feel cold and maybe numb in your heart, like there's a storm around you, even in a time when God is still working, but you don't realize He's working. Just like snow preserves dormant seeds until spring, it seems like there could be no possibility of life happening with those seeds after the fact of them being covered with several feet of snow but God's able to use that snow even to bring life when it doesn't seem like anything is possible through it if you remain steady guess what sometime in April or May the tulips will arise out of the ground even though they've been frozen all winter you go back to Napoleon. He, he went in with 670,000, 680,000 of an army. I mean, he had been conquering place after place. And, I mean, his idea was he was going to rule. He was going to rule a large section of Europe and beyond. And yet, from historians, it appears like 
the elements is actually what defeated Napoleon and not people. The power of even the elements. Today, tonight, we got snow on the ground. It seems like there would be no possibility of any life happening in the ground or in seeds that are in the ground or, or things that have remained in the ground. Uh, I, the last thing you're thinking about tonight is mowing your lawn. No one needs to mow the lawn tonight. That's the last thing you're thinking of. But guess what? The grass is still alive. The seeds are still alive. And even though there's snow on the ground, God's still working. Hmm. Look what Job says in chapter 23, verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Just because you can't see what God is doing doesn't mean that he's not working. I'm here to talk to you tonight about prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer, sometimes uh, you do not see what's happening. You do not uh, 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 visualize everything that's taking place. Uh, but, it's the, but it is prevailing prayer that gives uh, a superior power, uh, an influence, uh, a predominant move of God uh, uh, that happens under the scenes uh, and behind uh, the scenes. Uh, and you may not always know what's happening, but I can assure you that God is always working. Job said, my foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept, and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What Job is saying, listen, it may not even appear like you can find where God is. There's going to be times when you're going to Feel like when you're praying that God's not listening. You're going to feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and, and you're just saying words and nothing's happening and, and you're praying for family members and then nothing, it seems like actually it might be getting worse and, and, and all kinds of things that are happening uh, in your life and you're just like, oh my goodness, like what, what is happening? Uh, I'm praying but things are not taking place. Uh, let me tell you, it's no different uh, than maybe the season of snow uh, and it appears like nothing's happening but God is working behind the scenes, under the, under the situation, through the situation, and because of the situation, God is still working. Napoleon didn't have any idea, possibly, that he was going to come out defeated, not by people, but by elements. Sometimes people feel like, well, there is no way through this situation that I'm in and yet God is working on the situation at times without you even realizing. The passage that I read to you from uh, Isaiah 
it says that his word, his word will not, will not return void. Will not return void. Um, until when? What's the when there? It won't return void until when? Well, until it accomplishes what it's been sent to do. See, what happens with us, we think, well, that should happen right away. That should be immediate. That should be, well, it was preached on Sunday, and that should be happening by the end of the service. Or that should be, that should be complete by Monday. That's, that's not, that, that may not always be the when. The word won't return void until it has accomplished what it has been sent to do. So I'm here to tell you tonight to hold on. Hold on to prevailing prayer. Hold on to the word. Hold on to the promises of God. It's like, it's like snow piling up and you can't see, oh my goodness, this is, this is getting to be disastrous. We can't. I, I can't see any life happening. Do I actually have a lawn? Is there actually, is there actually shrubs underneath that snow? Is there, is there uh, plants that are, are going to be possibly coming up in the spring? If you looked out right now, you might not see any of that. But listen, underneath the circumstances and underneath the situation, God is still working. Working. See, prevailing prayer is having a superior power or influence that's predominant. And so I, I, I turn you to a passage tonight. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting, uh, interesting verse um, that, that Paul gives to us in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll start reading from verse 16 because we're going to go through verse 16 and and up to 18. It simply says rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. 17. Pray without ceasing. 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. These are just short little phrases that Paul speaks to the Thessalonian church. And um, in amongst these uh, little phrases is this phrase, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That's speaking about prevailing prayer. It's an attitude of prayer. And how is that attitude or that prevailing prayer created? Uh, there's a dependence that comes from that type of prayer. That you're not relying on yourself to figure it out, to solve it, to make the conclusion, to come to a, a solution. It's, no, there's a dependence upon God. An attitude of prevailing prayer is understanding that God is working even when you don't see it. And so there's an attitude of prayer that that doesn't mean that you're on your knees 24 hours a day. No, it means that your attitude of prayer is at any given moment 
that you are in prevailing prayer, that you feel your dependence upon God, and you know without a doubt that your trust is in him, your hope is in him, your reliance is in him. God, I can't figure out this situation myself, but prevailing prayer allows me to have an attitude of prayer that, God, I fully depend on you. I fully depend on you. It's non-interrupted prayer. Nothing distracts you from what God is doing even when you can't see it. When you can't see it. Listen, you'll be praying and you'll see no results for a period of time. But that does not interrupt you from prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer says there is a superior authority. There's a predominant influence that I have and that God is still working. It's an attitude of prayer that you have that you won't stop praying for a wayward child. You won't stop praying over a marriage. You won't stop praying over a health situation or a financial situation. You won't stop praying for something that God has placed in your life that you feel is, is a direction in ministry or, or what God has uh, put into your spirit that you feel like, okay, this is, this is an area that God is going to be using me in. and you, Prevailing prayer won't stop even though you don't see anything happening. There's something within there that says there's a superior authority. There is a superior power or influence. I know that God is working even though I do not see it. Um, it's maintaining a frame of mind to pray even publicly if requested. So, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm sure it probably does, that there are times when you awake in the, in the night and you just feel the necessity to pray about a certain situation. Or maybe uh, something is happening during your day, and uh, it happened today. It happened today with, uh, in our staff meeting. We were having our staff meeting, and, and all of a sudden there was a, a need, uh, uh, multiple needs. And, 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 and one of the staff members uh, at that moment said, you know, this is, this is a time we, we should pray right now. Huh? This is... This is you know what that is? That's a prevailing prayer. We couldn't see the situations and what was going to happen in those situations at that very moment. But we know, we know that there is a superior power. And there's a predominant influence that happens when we prevail in prayer. And so the attitude is that we're in the frame of mind, whether that's privately by ourselves or it's publicly with a group of people around, whatever the situation is. We call out to God in prevailing prayer because we know that he's working. Ah, yeah. Another aspect of prevailing prayer is communion. At all times. And um, of course we, we focus on or thinking about communion and the emblems. And that's obviously uh, a proper thing to do. And uh, we, we 
we enjoy those moments and we cherish those times when we're able to have communion together. And I'm thankful for that. But communion uh, is not just uh, taking of the emblems. The Bible says, for as oft as you do this, for as often as you do this. So it's not one or two times, or it's about every time that you partake in communion of some sort with God. Whether emblems are involved at the time or not, you are still to prevail in prayer, understanding his broken body and his shed blood on behalf of you as an individual. So an attitude of prayer or prevailing prayer is it brings a a, a praying without ceasing that there's communion with God every time you go to prayer. This is not just, well, I'm going to get a certain amount of time in. I'm going to get certain words said. I'm going to get certain requests asked for. No, no, no. This is, this is about you communing with God. This goes all the way back to how God wanted it to be in the garden. Adam and Eve communed with God. They spent time with God. This is before the entrance of sin, there, this was a daily, this was a regular occurrence. This was a, a, an automatic time of, 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 of communication and prayer with their almighty God. Well, God has never changed his desire for us to commune with him. The, this, this prevailing prayer that we, that we spend time with him uh, praying because we know that he is a superior power or, or we realize that without a question that uh, there's a predominant influence that happens when we connect uh, uh, with God in prayer. Well, that happens through communing with him in prayer. So our dependence is upon him in prayer. It's non-interrupted prayer. Nothing distracts us from that prayer. We're in a frame of mind that whether it's privately or publicly, uh, we, we enter into prayer and we are in communion with him on a regular basis it's all part of prevailing prayer this is not a list of what you just need to pray about this is connecting to a superior power in prayer in prayer now I want you to notice the progression uh, in closing tonight I want you to notice the progression that happens and Paul's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. Um, he says in verse 16, rejoice evermore. The, the way to rejoice evermore is to pray without ceasing. If you pray without ceasing, there will be a rejoice, a rejoicing evermore. Because your rejoicing will not be based upon your circumstances. It will be based upon your attitude of prevailing prayer. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Uh, if we pray without ceasing, the next verse says that uh, uh, thanks will be given in everything. Everything means the good and the bad. It won't all be good. Verse 18 doesn't tell us that you only thank God in the things that are good. No, it says, in everything, give thanks. How is that even possible? 
That's possible because of prevailing prayer. Rejoice evermore? How's that possible? It's because of prevailing prayer. The attitude of praying without ceasing. So just notice how, how powerful that is. Your, your rejoicing is depend, uh, dependent upon your prevailing prayer. And how you give thanks in everything is dependent upon your prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer gives you the ability to rejoice when it doesn't look like you can rejoice. Prevailing prayer gives you the ability to give thanks even when it's not positive. This is an attitude, an attitude of prayer. It's much different than a length of prayer. It's much different than what kind of words you say in prayer. It's, it's much different than, than having some type of perfect prayer structure. Now, prevailing prayer is connecting with that superior power. Even though it may not even appear at times that you can see what's happening, you have a dependence upon God that he is working even when it cannot be seen. Compare the elements of rain and snow. The Bible speaks about it. We read it to you in Isaiah 55. Compare those elements that God says they're necessary for growth. Think about, think about the, the defeat that Napoleon faced because of the elements. Pretty powerful. 678,000 down to probably no more than 30,000. All because of the elements. Think about what life brings to your situation. And there's all kinds of things that are happening in your life, maybe even as we speak. And there are parts of life that sometimes are not even fair. They're not. They're not fair. You feel like, I, I don't deserve. I don't deserve what's happening right now. It's the elements that are happening around your life. And I'm here to tell you, prevail in prayer. Pray without ceasing because your dependence upon God, uninterrupted by any distraction, a frame of mind privately and publicly where you commune with God on a continual basis, an attitude of saying, God, I know you're working even though the elements seem to be a challenge. Life seems to be a challenge. The difficulties seem to be winning. But I know that you are working. Working. Right where you are right now. Would you just reach out to God with whatever you're praying about? 
whatever is a concern in your life right now, would you reach out to God in faith right now? God, I take authority. I take authority, God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your written word and spoken word. God, that prevailing prayer would happen in homes right now, in people's lives, in individual hearts. As, God, they're calling out their need before you. Hallelujah. They're believing, God. Hallelujah. And their dependence upon you. They're communing with you. It's uninterrupted no matter what life is sending their way. Hallelujah. There's an attitude of praying without ceasing, God. Hallelujah. Even though, Lord, it seems like the challenges and the difficulties may be, Lord, overcoming their prayer. Lord, those things are are necessary for growth uh, and you come to the forefront uh, hallelujah because our dependence is upon you uh, and God you are working uh, on people's behalf even though they may not see it let faith arise right now in people's hearts and minds and spirits oh God hallelujah 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Believe it right now. Let someone uh, take a hold of that in prayer. Hallelujah. And believe it for your, for your life, for your family, for your situation, for your circumstance. Would you believe it right now? Amen. Occupying prayer. Disciplined prayer. Delivering prayer. And prevailing prayer. These notes have been based on a series done by Brother Woodward with some additional things that we've added. Types of prayer. Necessary. Necessary if we're going to grow individually, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to grow in our city, we've got to have prayer. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.